But of course, they do that foreshadowing thing again. At the very end, they're looking out at a storm and she's like, we always find a way through it. Spooky music and a literal storm on the horizon. There's a lot of alluding to something not being a happy ending. Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello. And we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. This is another edition of Bad Batch with Best Buds. (laughs) (laughs) As we'll be discussing the Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 9, The Crossing. But first... I wanted to say thank you again to everyone watching and listening. We have seen an uptick recently in traffic and engagement, and that's really great to see. So thank you, everyone. Let us know what you thought of this episode of The Bad Batch. We'd love to chat about it. We are on any social media, or you can pew pew us an email at kryptondalderon at gmail.com. All right, Royce, what do you say we just get right into The Bad Batch, huh? I don't even want to think about anything else. Let's just dive right in. Let's just jump right into it, as Philip DeFranco would say. (laughs) Punch it, Royce. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Here is my synopsis for The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 9, The Crossing. It's a little bit more snarky than usual. Here we go. Business as usual, as Clone Force 99 is on a mission once again. Sid sends our heroes to an unknown world to retrieve a highly volatile unknown mineral. Unfortunately, even with being warned of poachers in the area, the Batch has left the Marauder out of sight, unlocked, with the keys in it. (laughs) The ship is inevitably commandeered, leaving the Batch stranded with ample time to address some lingering emotions. With the loss of one of their brothers and now their home, It seems the mineral isn't the only thing that's volatile. Put that in the (laughs) teaser trailer for this episode. (laughs) Maybe a lot to unpack there. Let's start. Royce, what was was your first reaction when you realized that this was, that this had no connection to what happened in the previous episodes, uh, apart from like, obviously we get into it later with dealing with Echo's departure and stuff, but the two-parter season, mid-season finale, and then just like back to another mission. Every episode does a really good job so far this season. And maybe even last season, I'm not, I don't have anything top of mind to compare it to. But this season, it seems like the first one minute of the episode, they rip the band-aid off of like, is this going to be meat and potatoes or is this going to be a side quest sort of thing? So I, I really appreciate that you don't find out at the last minute, like, oh, there's a boss battle. They set it up right away. They're doing a mission for Sid, right? So I appreciate that. Thank you, writers. And then you can go into it with like, <laughs> uh, okay, they're going to be looking for stuff in this mine and they're going to sell it back to Sid or whatever. Certainly not off-brand in general for Bad Batch, so I'm not mad at that. But yeah, the mid-season arc was so meaty and we're a little bit mm. away from the meat. But we get back into kind of the core of what I think Bad Batch is about, which is family, right? I think we're going to mm. talk a lot about that this episode. And so a little bit different tone, not a lot of action, not a lot of lore, but a lot of good moments between Omega and tech, especially. But Mm -hmm. the Bad Batch as a whole, thinking about getting in touch with themselves, 
I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I have to say, we'll probably talk about it, but there are a few moments in this episode that broke my heart, dare I say. And if you have those moments sprinkled in, it makes the episode important, you know, not a side quest throwaway thing. There's moments in this that are very crucial. If you truly are a real Bad Batch fan, right? (laughs) Here we are. We're real Star Wars podcasters now. We're gatekeeping. (laughs) What did you think about this coming off of the season, mid-season arc? I got to be honest. I was a little annoyed when the episode started, right? Like a pause for reaction. What? Me annoyed at Star Wars? It kind of like on a similar scale of how I felt when I finally came to terms with with how I felt about the book of Boba Fett, like <laughs> on on that level of things. Back on a random mission, random stampede thing, locked in a cave, weird storm. But when it was over, I felt very differently. And honestly, after writing up my thoughts to do this podcast, I realized just how much I actually loved everything they did here. So in the end, like you said, this episode had absolutely no ties to anything else. And I think that that was obviously very purposeful. It's a planet we don't know. It's a mineral we've never heard of. There are no known characters besides the Batch. Sid shows up for a little bit, but it's essentially canonless. As far as we know, you know, we don't know what the Ipsum is for. If It's just valuable and they're just selling it, period. Or if there's other things right. connected to that. Exactly. And canon is a, is a living, breathing beast. What I mean is like, I think it is very purposeful that like, this is an unnamed planet. As far as I know, Ipsum has no history so that we know of so far, you know, as the viewer, as the audience. So it's all like focusing on the people and the family, as you said. So yeah, moments that broke my heart beautiful moments kudos for this episode it's just well we'll get in we'll get into how much i love it although initially was maybe a little annoyed yeah as soon as they bring up sid and we're going into a mine to retrieve a thing you're like that's a very cliche plot structure but that enables like you fit in the character moments within that really like you know right predictable plot line that They find the thing. Oh, they lose the thing. They get the thing back. Oh, you know. Right. That's not the point, though, obviously. It allows the Batch and us to focus on the characters and Mm, the emotions with no external external burden placed on them, which, yeah, is incredible. So right off the bat, starting this episode out, though, I felt like the music was so different. And it had a very, like, Let me know how you felt or what you thought about this. But just like as the episode opens up and we pan down on the planet, very Star Wars, uh, this more like (laughs) Western, these more Western themes in the music start playing. And it was so noticeable to me because it set things up so well. Like I wouldn't have thought about the Western themes. It's just a desert planet. There's a storm. There's like antelope and stuff, which is all fine. But I don't think I would have like called it Western-y without this music, which I thought was really like, I noticed it, which as we've talked about, maybe sometimes with a good score, it just adds to it. But in a way it did add to it because it brought me into, I think, the world that they were trying to create this episode. And then there's some really beautiful kinery type stuff when they're like in the, uh, when they're in the Ipsium caves, which I just love what kiners do in that in those situations. Yeah, I they do such a great job with the music. Again, I don't think they get enough credit for like doing a cartoon 
They're great. Mm -hmm. I know that we've said it before, but I really hope they get to do some live action stuff one day. It's cool that they're the animation people, but you know, why not? Like John Williams could score a bad batch episode. Like they should just shuffle these people in when it's, uh, you know, best suited. Yeah. I noticed the music too. And I think because it was very outside of the normal Star Wars music vernacular. So you're saying it's got this Western vibe. It's all like classical, like finger picked guitar. So, hmm. you know, you're, it's not strings. It's not horns. It's not the typical Star Wars sound. And I, it definitely stands out. Perfect for that sort of Western vibe, obviously, you know, like flamenco guitar or any kind of classical guitar. You get that sort of like desert atmosphere from it. Very ominous. And that stood out to me for sure. There's probably other moments that Star Wars music has used it. But the only one top of mind that I can think of is in The Mandalorian. They do the... And that's also on a finger-picked classical guitar-ish type sound. There's certainly a parallel there. Like you said, you want to be in a sort of desolate atmosphere. So you pick an arrangement that's going to suit that. I'm sure they might have tried that same melody on horns or strings and it didn't work in the same sort of way. And also they lose their ship. You know, so they're literally like stranded there. Now they can't get around. They've literally, they're walking to town. Where's the closest town from here? You know, right. that's kind of like a, a very Western-y maybe trope there. Yeah. So I noticed the music and I, I like that because guitar sticks out to me. That's like my language. I want to pick up my guitar and learn that riff now. Huh. So that's cool. Like that's, that's now part more so part of the Star Wars box than it was before. The more we introduce that, the more you might come to expect it in future mm -hmm. uh, shows or future films or whatnot. But also that they're going into a mine. And you know that I love uh, Ghost Town Living on, on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> their theme song, like it's, it's a mining town, right? And they play a very acoustic guitar riff as they're going into the Cerro Gordo Ghost Town, which is abandoned mining town. We're on an abandoned mining planet. So yeah, kudos again to the arranging. It just makes sense. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny comparing the Bad Batch to some random YouTube ghost mining channel. But... Who knows where they draw inspiration from? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I would love to get some like behind the scenes music stuff from the Kiners and anyone else working on this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we we almost need like a like a completely uh, separate behind the scenes system for for just talking about the composition of the music and what fits and how they achieved it and stuff like that. Right. Well, like you're saying, the moment in the cave. There's this little like arpeggio splash where she's looking at all the ipsum. Omega finds the ipsum in the cave and it's like, ah, yeah. the musicians have to arrange that. The composer's got to put that that little sparkle in there. Yeah, it made it really reminded me of especially like season seven of the Clone Wars score in that moment, which I also like. I also love it when I can pick that stuff out without necessarily having the language for it. I'm able to say, oh, well, this is this sounds very Star Wars to me. And here's why. Love it. So let's talk about the, the a theme that we've been discussing here as this has gone on. Let's talk about the potential for Omega to lose what makes her her with this episode. Yeah, so Omega is a clone and she fits in with the Bad Batch because she's sort of different from the rest of the clones in that she's not got the accelerated growth mm. and no inhibitor chip as far as we know or whatever. So she's right. kind of a different clone, perfect for the Bad Batch of misfit clones. Right. But because she doesn't have the you know advanced aging component, she's growing up like a normal person would. 
and going through the normal kind of emotions of becoming a regular, for lack of a better term, a regular person and not a clone that's programmed for a certain thing. Even though maybe Omega does have some programming built in, I don't know how that that works, but she's kind of developing on her own rather than like, I am programmed for war, must commit right. atrocities. <laughs> and she's mixed in with the rest of the Bad Batch who were programmed for war. And now they're raising Omega, but she's not received the same kind of programming as them. And the Bad Batch is not trained to be parental units. Or, yeah. I mean, they often refer to each other as like brothers, but they're not really a traditional family in that sense. And there's so many moments with Tech where he's coming at this from that analytical point of view that he was programmed for being involved in the Clone Wars. Whereas Omega's just growing up and she's learning as she goes rather than like Omega's purpose is to be the heart of the group, which is kind right. of what it is, but it's a natural progression, right? And those two things are at odds right now. And I think they're kind of finding a middle ground. Like Omega is going to become who she's going to become. And it may be a good thing for the rest of the Bad Batch. And it may be a little bit of a bad thing for Omega. But there's some sort of middle ground that they're sort of working towards there. And I think that's sort of the point. And, and there's not a lot of Jedi force action in the Bad Batch. But this is the same thing of like dark side and light side. Is Omega going to see all the problems in the world and, oh, I'm losing my brothers and I'm losing my ship and Sid is double crossing us and there's evil people out there and I'm just going to give in to my anger, you know, mm. or is she going to rise above it? It like really is, again, perfect Star Wars box, light side, dark side storytelling there. She still has development left to go. She's like an angsty teenager right now. This episode was, I wrote down in my notes, emo. There's just so much <laughs> angsty emotion going on in this episode, especially through Omega's eyes. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to pick apart there. What, what are you thinking with Omega's development? I love everything you just said. And I think it's made me reflect back on this specific theme. Omega losing what, what makes her her, losing her heart, losing being the conscience of the group. It made me realize that like throughout our conversations here, we might have put her in a box herself. Mm, mm. Like, you're saying she's going to become who she's going to become and the characters develop and evolve like people. This might be like the most character development that's ever happened in a Star Wars. Well, no one's telling her you have to fulfill your destiny, Omega. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's right. written in stone. The prophecy must be fulfilled. <laughs> which is like putting those characters in a box, which is like what we as Star Wars fans have taken to do here. Like we're like, this is Omega's destiny. She's destined to be the conscience of the group. And now we're like, and now this specific episode, again, the one that I was initially annoyed at was like, oh, she's a person. To the detriment of like having Star Wars blinders on saying that this is the way these things usually go and not saying, no, characters develop and evolve and everything. And to that end, I think I'm completely free of the trying to force her or filter her development through this theme. I would still like love for her to remain kind and, you know, her conscience intact and stuff like that. But this episode really, really kind of shook that theme up for me. And you had mentioned, uh, obviously, we spend a lot of this episode. It feels like we spend a lot of this episode with Omega and Tech. In reality, it's like halfway through the episode by the time they get trapped in the cave. But there were a lot of moments in this episode where I kept feeling we, we, we see that Omega's upset. Obviously, she's very different when we get on the planet. She's not happy to be there on a mission. You know, she's always so excited to be part of the squad and be on a mission and very sad when she's left behind. 
But in this episode, she's just kind of like sighing when they call her to come and help in the cave. And she like is obviously very upset. And there were so many moments in this episode where I kept feeling like the Batch needs to talk to Omega on her level. And here we go. Here's a little bit of a diatribe from me about TV and pop culture. But there's always a conversation around television, right? And, and, and in the real world, too, about like the labels of like children's TV and adult TV and the idea that we shouldn't talk down to kids. To some extent, we shouldn't talk down to kids. It promotes emotional maturity and stuff like that. But I think a lot of times adults think that that is expressed as being emotionless. In effect, like teaching kids not to show emotions by example. And maybe tech is neurodivergent or uh, something like that. But the best part is when Omega says, why don't you act like a family? And this is what I think this is what you were touching on before. Tech takes a beat, thinks about how to express his feelings, and then expresses it. So it's like the opposite, right? Omega, the kid in the role, even though she's older than them, shows the adult in the relationship that it's safe to have these feelings and talk about these and have these conversations, showing tech and also the audience that this can that this can be done, which is obviously a very like healthy thing to show in pop culture. So this episode changed so much of the way of thinking about this show and the characters within this show for me, and hopefully how the characters like think about each other and how to be that family, how to be those brothers, how to express their feelings and grow and talk about it. You know, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. You know what I mean? I think she definitely does tech a little bit of a favor there. It's interesting because tech has been discovering this in a couple of different moments through the season where I didn't realize that you guys were a culture before the Clone Wars when I was, you know. So that's something they've already set up with him, like learning to understand other points of view. I like that you're framing this as the opposite parental moment here where Omega is actually kind of raising tech in that sense because she has kind of a more traditional viewpoint on how a regular person would react to things. And tech is so technical about it. He even says whatever the way he processes things. You know, he still feels it, but he processes that a little bit differently, filters it in a way. He says, I may process moments and thoughts differently, but it does not mean that I feel any less than you. Right. He's got more of like the Vulcan, like you're saying, like, I don't express it, but I'm, it's still inside of me. What's interesting, I think, is they both have valid viewpoints. Tech is saying you can't avoid change in life. And like you mentioned earlier, like everyone's going to adapt throughout their life. And he tells Omega, we have to adapt and move on. And in Tech's mind, he then follows that up with, because that's what soldiers do. And he's trained to do that. So that is a strength of a soldier to be like, this is chaos, but we're going to move forward. And he is trying to teach that to Omega. But that filter doesn't work when you're talking to a child who's feeling the abundance of emotion like Omega is. And so it's really interesting that they then meet in the middle. Like you're saying that she's kind of parenting him, but they still kind of work together to find a middle ground there, that they're both right. They just have that different point of view on it. But I think that was good for for tech and humanizing him more. And especially that you brought up the, why don't we act like a family? Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, or, or Joey, if you happen to know, I think that's the first time they've said family in reference to the Bad Batch. Maybe I'm wrong, but she often says squad. And she says squad a few times in this episode. Echo left and we were a squad. 
Uh, and then finally, when she's talking to Tech, she says, like, but we're more than soldiers. We're a family, question mark, right? And that's what makes Tech finally come around and say, like, hmm, I guess we are sort of a family, you know? And that's how his mind works. He hadn't yet rationalized that one piece of information yet. He is, he's right. still thinking they're a squad. But now he's like, wait, no, I'm kind of Omega's adoptive parental guardian in a way. Right. You know, and now he's realizing that and he has to refilter the way that he's speaking to her, not saying, what's your issue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thinking about it now, thinking about that whole scene. I mean, it's the most important part of the episode. It's the most important part of the show, I think. The scene where Tech and Omega are having this conversation by the water. And when Omega says we're a family, aren't we? And Tech says, of course we are. And she says, well, why don't you act like it? He like is taken aback. You can see the like shock on his face. And like uh, what I inter I'm probably projecting a little bit here, but I interpret that as like a hurt, like that he's hurt by, by those words. Why don't you act like it? He might think that that's harsh because he acts the way he acts because he's who he is. So it, that moment for me, a little choked up right now, just talking about it, reliving it, remembering it. Um, and that's that's when he takes a beat to express that he, it doesn't mean he doesn't feel anything less than she does. And just that explanation from him, then we can go back and see how he's interacting with the Serenians and their culture and with the Wookiees and knowing that he might have those strong feelings about what's going on, but not express them the same way as she is or as everyone else does is also like, this has been a huge season for growth, for like tech growth, big, big <laughs> season for tech. And it's like not stopping. It's increasing exponentially. And man, this episode really, really pushed it forward, but pulled on my heartstrings with the thing. So at the beginning, when they first get trapped and tech says, what's your issue to Omega? He had just said this squad existed before Echo and it will exist after. And then he says, what's your issue? Which obviously she's dealing with the loss of Echo and now the loss of her second home, essentially. Like she lost her first home and now her second one just flew away. But the idea of them being able to let go so easily, Clone Force 99 existed before Omega. And if that's their like rationale or if that's their like way of thinking as far as like being able to, as you said, like this is chaos, but we have to get through it. What does that mean to her? What do, what does she mean to them? You know what I mean? I'm. Uh, it, it it's a question that's not answered in the episode, but it's a question that I think is felt. Like if they can, if he can say that about Echo, this is a really interesting point. That would they write off Omega? So I thought about this for a moment during the episode when she falls down the cavern. I was like, wow, is that going to be like where it ends? And then they have to say like, do we go rescue rescue Omega? Do we deliver the coaxium, mm. the ipsum to Sid <laughs> and like get the payday? Or, you know, like, is that going to be part of the plot? And Tech jumps right in. And so I was like, oh, there yeah. you go. If you were a parent and your child falls down a well, like, of course you're jumping in after them, you know? You're going to do all yeah. you can to save them. So I think that's sort of, subtly hints to what you're talking about here is that Omega means more to Tech than just a member of the squad. And if she went on another mission that Tech doesn't need to keep that information rent-free in his head, he just moves on with his new mission. And Omega's on her right. other mission. So I, I think they were showing there that he does have those deeper feelings. He never expressed that. He didn't like 
wail when Omega fell and said like, oh no, my dear yeah. child. Oh, the horror. He my just, boy. Yeah, he just, <laughs> he just jumps in after her. So they, yeah. they showed that rather than telling you that. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I love that. When push came to shove, he did not hesitate. He just jumped in. So I wonder if him saying that stuff about Echo is just him trying to rationalize how he feels. Again, like it might go back to Omega being the one to guide him to understanding that that it is safe to express your feelings, right? He he went from saying we were a squad before, what's your issue to like diving in and then telling her that he he processes things differently, but it doesn't mean he doesn't feel anything less. So, it was a powerful moment when they finally yeah. come to terms on Squad, like in my notes, I wrote squad versus family. Like from this right. point forward, I, that's how I'm looking at the Bad Batch truly. Is that they're not just soldiers put together to follow orders. At this point, they are a family. Like he dove in to save her because he cares about her. He could mm-hmm. have just taken the Ipsum and gone back with the squad, completed the mission. That's the mission. She went down a, a hole on this planet full of explosive material. It's not a good idea to dive down the hole. We couldn't see what was at the bottom. He didn't even hear like a thud. So she could still be falling. We didn't know that there was water underneath. He assumed all that risk, which I think is a powerful moment. They're family through and through now and everyone's on the same page. Omega had a question about it and now there's no longer a question, at least between her and Tech. It might still have to come to terms maybe with Hunter or Wrecker. Maybe not with Hunter because he told Tech, you better go talk to her. It was like a husband and wife, you know, or two partners that are like, you pissed off our kid. I think you need to go apologize. (laughs) I loved and hated their bickering throughout <laughs> this episode. And I just wanted them to hug at the end because they are, they're obviously bickering because they're dealing with all of this stuff. Like right. Echo leaving and Crosshair leaving. Even Tech even says it later. At the beginning, Wrecker was the first one to say, you'll get used to it. You know, Omega's like, I'm thinking about Echo. Wrecker's like, ah, uh, yeah, but you'll get used to it. You know, he's the first one to kind of push that away. It was like two siblings bickering but we know that there's something else going on that's why that that's happening but another thing i think is really interesting with all of that is that you and i with truth and consequences you had brought up that we haven't seen omega upset really even after the destruction of topoka city even seeing the destruction of topoka city it wasn't until like truth or consequences that she says i'm angry you know we see that emotional side But in this episode, again, I think that's like leading us all through this, giving us all time to mourn and like express these emotions. We see her upset. Uh, We see her like actually crying in the cave when she goes off alone. This episode being that powerful episode that's giving us this time with this character. This is the episode where we see that from her without anything else going on, without any other characters. There's no senator. There's no other heavy mission going on. It's just her in the cave and and us as the audience. And we actually get to see her like crying. Yeah. I wonder if like right now in the story, her her expression is through that anger and depression and, you know, all those really heavy emotions of her not really enjoying her time as like a, a teenager, you know, or whatever age she happens to be. I think that's just how she's able to communicate with the group right now. But I think what they're maybe more so getting to is that she's becoming even more outspoken and more, maybe not necessarily confident. Actually, yeah, she is becoming more confident in these episodes. She's extracting the Ipsum and she's like, 
well, you better not distract me or I'll blow, yeah, yeah. blow us all up, which was a very like tech line that she delivered clearly like as part of tech's influence on her. But I think that's more what they're getting towards is she's like kind of broken right now, but that's solidifying who she's going to be. And that'll be the footing for her to maybe stand out apart from the Bad Batch rather than having to be in the Bad Batch, that she could be her own person in the galaxy, not rely on the family. I think there's a little bit of a confidence thing that they're showing there. She's off on her own. You know, she didn't come running to Hunter, running to another character for consolation. She's like looking inward a little bit on that and pushing back on the rest of the Bad Batch. Like, why don't you do better? Which, yeah, that's like what happens when you become an adult and you realize like, I have to take control of the reins here. I think that's what they're maybe putting down with some of that stuff with Omega and, and her toiling and coming to terms with things on her own. Like you said, they show her sitting in the corner brooding on these thoughts and whatnot. Do you think that it points to her, again, with the idea of the batch maybe breaking up? Do you think that this is this is getting her ready and getting all of us ready for that breakup? Well, again, at the end of the episode, she says, we always figure a way out of it. We'll figure it out. And she's still optimistic at the end of the episode. So I think that she has the potential that she could bring everyone's worlds together. Echo on his own mission. Tech wanting to just kind of be this analytical guy. I don't know if Hunter and Wrecker have development left to go within this season because we haven't really done much with them so far. But she's the center of all of them, you know, so she can bring them all together, which I think is important. But of course, they do that foreshadowing thing again like, put this on your bingo card. Like, <laughs> I got a bad feeling about this on the bingo card, right? At yep. the very end, they're looking out at a storm and she's like, we always find a way through it. <laughs> Spooky music right. and a literal storm on the horizon. So I don't know if that, you know, if she's leaving or not, or if she's going to try to bring them together and it doesn't work or one of the Bad Batch dies or, you know, there's a lot of alluding to something not being a happy ending. Yeah, you know, I... It's tough because we're getting so attached to all of these characters, especially this season. And I don't want them to go away. I was hurt when Echo left. I don't want them to break up, but we're seeing these seeds being planted and this episode specifically being like, hey, emotions are here and we feel them and it's okay to talk about them and express them. And I watching it as the audience being like, well... I'm going to express some emotions if this doesn't go the way I think, right? Like, if they break up, I'm going to be heartbroken, uh, but it's going to be okay, I guess, kind of thing. And we had talked, like, last time about the potential of Omega's political future, which really kind of has me jazzed And now. Like, I, I've thought about it since our last recording and really want to see that happen. So I guess it's the same with all things, like, nothing good lasts, or not all good things come to an end, but, like... Like Tech was saying, change is inevitable. It's a fundamental part of life. So it'll be sad to see if it happens, but we'll all get past it together. The audience and the batch. I think so too. There was another, I don't have the direct quote, but Tech says something about Echo leaving as like, he's not lost. You know, Omega says like, we, we lost Echo. Tech says something like, well, he's just on a different mission. And I looked at that as like, sort of the, uh, you know, no one's ever really gone line, which is maybe a romantic way to look at something when you're like, well, you know, sorry for your loss, but you know, there's, you know, when one door closes, another one opens sort of thing, mm -hmm. like put a bright spin on it. And Echo isn't gone. He literally is just on another mission. So like Omega still needed to hear that. Yeah, he's not lost. He's just on another mission, which is like a very, it's a very soldier way to explain it. It's also like a very, uh, 
kind of kid gloves on way to explain it, I think. It was the way an adult would explain the situation to a kid, which whether or not Hunter believes that or he's just saying it for Omega's benefit. That was Hunter who said that line? It wasn't Tech? No, it was Hunter that said it. So what do you think that this does to Star Wars? Do you think that this fits into stuff we've seen before? Or do you think that this changes like our Star Wars box trademark pending for Krypton Alderaan? I mean, that was the whole point of this episode was the emotional stuff. So it's definitely like the most hitting you over the head with it. But I think there's been other moments, like even in Return of the Jedi, Luke is telling Leia on Endor like that Vader's, you know, his father and, and there's a lot of emotions going on there. And then Luke's like, and you're my sister, by the way. Right. And, and then Han comes in and he's like, what's going on? Why are you all upset? She doesn't totally recap the story for Han. He's like, could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So there's, that's, that's in Star Wars a little bit already, you know? And there's, yeah. that's sort of like a love triangle. That's maybe a different take on it, but still sort of the like, I'm feeling these emotions. I can't express them. It's very heavy. Uh, so I don't think it's foreign. But like you said, I do think it's a, an important thing in storytelling to showcase how we can be better in, in the real world, even though I watch Star Wars and things like this to escape the crazy world that we live in. But right. it is nice to see that as a positive influence that, yeah, tech is like, you know what? I wasn't processing my feelings. I'll try to do that more in the future sort of right. thing. I'm okay with it as long as it doesn't become like too watered down. Like we said, they were on this mission and it sort of fit in perfectly for what's happening there. And they lost Echo. And it's a natural, natural lesson for the audience rather than just like a actual kid's show. Like today we're right. talking about the color yellow. <laughs> for lack of better yeah. metaphor. I do love the color yellow. Yeah, you know, it, it's such, to some extent, it feels like the exact opposite of, I would say, most of the Star Wars we get. But that being a very good thing, you know, we're, we're often mainstream Star Wars is so much about the Jedi. And especially like prequel Jedi and onward, uh, not showing emotions, not able, not allowed to show emotions. None of that. I don't, I don't know, man. There's, dude, I am thinking of so many scenes now that you're bringing this up of like emotions in Star Wars, like Luke losing his aunt and uncle and being like, I'm looking at their charred bodies. And he doesn't talk about that moment. Right. But they That's show I mean. that there, obviously. So you, you, yeah. you mean actually having the conversations. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And like George Lucas's direction sometimes with emotions is very that like Luke standing over the corpses and like not emoting or not breaking down or anything and just moving on. And then like, you know, Anakin and Padme have a whole conversation about it in in Attack of the Clones, which I think is very fitting. But yeah, not necessarily like we feel it as the audience, but it's not necessarily shown that it's felt by the characters and it's never really discussed well that's the advantage of tv is we were able to devote an entire half an hour episode to this over the course of a 16 episode season mm -hmm. yes very true so emotional storytelling and all that stuff aside what do you think is going to happen with the marauder do you think they're gonna like go on the hunt for their ship even though tech said it's only a means of transportation? I'm surprised they weren't like, oh no, our chain codes are on there or it's like something they needed. Everything's with you on your person. I guess that's a very soldier thing to be like, we're bringing all of our gear with us. Like they had rations somehow when they mm -hmm. went into the mine. Like they, they thought ahead to some degree. 
I would imagine that something important is on there. You're like, my laptop or whatever, like some device that they're going to need, your imperial access codes or whatever. Uh, right. Pretty crazy that they're like, nah, we'll find a new ship. But that's also the way that tech thinks. Like we can just, we'll rebuild. And heartbreaking again for Omega that that's her home. Like her kaleidoscope is on there or whatever, you know. I thought they were going to mention something specific about that. They didn't. I want them to get the damn ship back. And we have a mystery guy that that took it and they didn't readdress that at all. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting that they wrote that totally off and they're like, we'll find a new ship or we'll call Sid and she'll help us out. But Sid was a freaking butthead, man. Like they yeah. got the Ipsum. Do, do you want it? Get him a ship. This, do you think this yep. would be mutually beneficial? Why didn't you put, why did you send them on the mission if you don't want to get the Ipsium? I don't get, yep. I don't get that from Sid's point of view, which that really rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, let's find a ship and sell the Ipsium ourselves. you know? Right. I really want them to get the Marauder back though, because it's a cool ship. Although if they get another cool ship, we'll get another cool Lego. Uh, yeah. So, Hell yeah. It's a win-win <laughs> in my book. <laughs> What do you think with the sh with the ship? Who took the damn ship? You know, are they getting it back? What do you think? This is what this is what I mean. Like that, this episode was so kind of devoid of any canon. We know, like, there's no way to know who the person who took the ship was. The, at first glance, I thought it was Hondo Onaka, but then when you get a closer view, it was ob it obviously wasn't him. So unknown character. I think that they will get the ship back because. One key character is still on the ship, as oh. far as we know. Gonky is on the ship. So I'm wondering if Gonky is going to be the hero they might not deserve, but the one that they need right now. Gonk. You know? Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're throwing it for a loop there, but I love that, that Gonky yeah. could save the day. I hope so. That we need, you know, we need the droid sidekick to step up a little, maybe. But yeah, Sid, oh my God. So I went from feeling emotional to feeling so angry that that A, she is being that way and B, like the show went that way immediately. Like we're immediately with that tone coming right off of like all the emotional stuff. But yeah, and then, uh, you know, uh, during the Riot Race episode at the end, Malegi tells Tech and Wrecker and Omega that it's nice that they're devoted, so devoted to Sid but she will not repay it. And this is Omega's first, first experience that we've seen with that being true. So this rando on another planet tells them that Sid's going to do this, do this exact thing to them. And Omega, this is also the first time we see her light bite back at Sid, where they're like, Sid, we need your help. Like, obviously, we're counting on you. And we should be able to count on you because we're all friends. Yeah, just another moment of like, what? how is Omega going to walk away from this, you know? Yeah, I almost wish that it was a little bit more abrasive with Sid because she's like, well, I'll see what I can do, but it's going to take a couple days. And they are like, well, we don't have a couple days. And she, she hangs up. It is a little abrupt, yeah. but I almost wish she just totally wrote it off that she was like, you're on your own to get back here. And then we spend another episode of them trying to get home and it's like hell. And that's yeah. the, the turning point of like, Sid, this was the last mission. You know, yep. I think we really need to come to terms with this Sid relationship selfishly because when they bring her into the show, it turns me off, you know, and obviously that's by design. She's sort of a villain. We're meant to not like her, but I, I want it to be over. It's a little bit of a trope at this point. Like you said, they start the episode picking up some a grocery order for Sid. Yeah, I'm over that plot line. And I think the Bad Batch is also and of course they're over it. Can we? Let's move forward. This is close to the breaking point. I think we need one more episode and then we're there. Yeah. 
I think and hope that when they do get back, this will be the end of their relationship with Sid. Because, you know, Tech points out they've bailed her out twice. They're doing all these missions. She can't do them without them. And then she abandons them. So I'm in the same boat as you. I do hope this is the end of the relationship with Sid and that they just walk away and we start something new here. But I do think that the next episode, it does feel like it's going to be a two-parter. The next episode will be a direct sequel to this episode. That's what I'm that's what I'm predicting. They magically got off the planet and delivered the Ipsium to Sid. Right. Like they found a ship and whatever. And then when we catch back up with them there in space. No, I think we're gonna we're gonna open on the same planet next right. week and we're gonna see their journey. And uh then maybe the next episode we see the confrontation with Sid. But I'm really hoping that's the way it goes. She really hurt Omega in that moment and I don't want that. And she called tech goggles and Omega was like, that's kind of like, she didn't say anything, but she was obviously upset about that. Man, I was so pissed off. And then she hung up on them. I was like, <laughs> no. All right, here's my prediction. They find a ship, but they have to trade for it because they have nothing of value except for the Ipsium. And they, mm. they're going to get back and Sid's going to be like, where's the Ipsium? You said you were going to bring it back. Well, you didn't give us a ship. We had to trade for it, you know? Yep, that's a good one. I like that. All right, there's some unanswered questions here, but we want to hear from you listeners. What's the deal with the ship? Where did it go? Who took it? Is it Hondo Onaka? Hondo Onaka? Hondo Onaka? <laughs> I mean, we got a link to him in the show notes. I forget uh, the name of that channel. The uh, Sea yeah. Shanties, Star Wars Sea Shanties. YouTube and it's there. Hondo Onaka Sea Shanty. Let us know what you think is happening with the Marauder. Is the Bad Batch going to get a new ship? Are they going to trade for it? Or is Sid going to save the day and hook them up with uh, their bosses? Hey, Blipper. <laughs> you let us know wherever you like to social media. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the end of the show and tune in next week for more coverage on the Bad Batch. I've been Royce. I've been some unknown character. And we've been... Krypton to some unknown planet. <laughs> Did they not name the planet? Mm-mm.